0: Hi, I'm Drew Beebe, the host of a new podcast from CNN called Great Big Story. It's a show about the curious side of the human experience. And I know that sounds like a lofty idea, but hear me out. Over the course of this show, we'll talk to some of the most interesting people you've ever met, from brilliant code breakers to a couple building their own artificial island. If you're itching for a good story and you're curious like I am, well, I think you might like this show. Give us a listen wherever you get your favorite podcasts.
1: Good evening. At the end of a landmark day for the country, a key figure in President Trump's alleged Ukraine extortion scheme, Lev Parnas says, quote, the president knew everything I was doing What's more, he says. And these are his words. Everybody knew. Vice President Pence, he says he believes was in the loop. Mick Mulvaney, John Bolton, all in the loop. And as Rudy Giuliani's go between with Ukraine, the guy who was actually on the ground for Giuliani in Ukraine, in Ukraine, Lev Parnas is certainly in a position to know. He also, we should point out, is an alleged felon. He's under federal indictment on campaign finance charges. He's wearing an ankle monitor. He's out on bail. He has baggage. But as prosecutors often say they don't get to choose their witnesses. It's the alleged bad guys who choose their associates. In a moment, our conversation, so you can decide for yourself what to make of Lev Parnas' story of the pressure campaign he says he helped carry out, the extortion he says he helped carry out on the president's behalf to get the Ukrainians to announce an investigation of the Bidens. And with his words practically hanging in the air today, the nonpartisan government accountability office, they released a bombshell report saying the administration broke the law when it withheld congressionally mandated military aid to Ukraine. So in the space of a day, government watchdogs say the White House broke the law and alleged henchman directly implicates the president and other top officials in the scheme. Then for only the third time in American history, a presidential impeachment trial began. Will all Senators now stand, or remain standing, uh, and raise their right hand? Do you solemnly swear that in all things appertaining to the trial of the impeachment of Donald John Trump, President of the United States, now pending, you will do impartial justice according to the Constitution and laws? So help you God. The clerk will call the names in groups of four, and senators will present themselves at the desk to sign the oath book. Impartial justice. They swore that they would do that. Impartial justice. One by one, they did. They signed that oath. Then a few moments later, the sergeant at arms made it official.
0: Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. All persons are commanded to keep silent on pain of imprisonment. While the House of Representatives is exhibiting to the Senate of the United States Articles of impeachment against Donald John Trump, president of the United States.
1: And not long after that, the president weighed in.
0: It's a hoax. It's a hoax. Everybody knows that. It's a, it's a complete hoax, the whole thing with Ukraine. So you have a perfect phone call. Everything was perfect, and they impeach. It's totally partisan. We had 195 to nothing Republican votes. I guess we got a Democrat actually came over to the Republican side. We had 195 to nothing. This is a hoax. It's a shame.
1: He was also asked about Lev Parnas and as he's so many times before about so many other associates. Here's what he said.
0: Well, I don't know him. I don't know Parnas, other than I guess I had uh, pictures taken, which I do with thousands of people, including people today that I didn't meet, but uh, just met him. Uh, I don't know him at all. Don't know what he's about. Don't know where he comes from. Know nothing about him.
1: Knows nothing about him. Now, keeping in mind, I Parnas is not claiming the president gave him his marching orders or asked him for details about what was being done, allegedly on his behalf. What he does say, however, goes straight to the heart of the articles of impeachment now before the Senate. And if it's true what he says, it ties the president of the United States into the worst of it. Much of it is accompanied by documentation which he's provided to federal investigators that could find its way into the proceedings. Maybe not. Though portions of it have not yet been corroborated and some of it has been refuted by the people he names, his account largely tracks with testimony that we have already heard, sworn testimony. We spoke uh, late tonight, or excuse me, late last night, accompanied by his attorney, Joseph Bondi. Here's part one of tonight's
2: 360 interview.
1: You loved President Trump.
2: I loved him. I mean... He, I mean, I, I, when, when the FBI came to my house uh, to raid them, my wife felt embarrassed because they said I had a shrine to him. I mean, I had pictures all over. I mean, I, I idolized him. I mean, I thought he was the savior. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, did you think you were friends? Absolutely. I mean, again, I went from being a top donor, from being at all the events where we would just socialize, to becoming a close friend of Rudy Giuliani's to eventually becoming his ally and his asset on the ground in Ukraine. The the president
1: has said, when you were arrested, the president of the United States said uh, he didn't know you.
0: I don't know those gentlemen. Now it's possible I have a picture with them because I have a picture with everybody. I don't know them.
2: The truth is out now, thank God. Yesterday was a big day for us. I thank God every day. I was worried that that day is not going to come. I thought they were going to shut me up, make me look like the scapegoat, and try to blame me for stuff that... I wasn't done, but with God's help and the great legal team that I have besides me, we were able to get the information out, and now it's out there. So I welcome him to say that even more. Every time he says that, I'll show him another picture. He's lying. He's lying.
1: Your attorney in a tweet had said that there were two times in which you gave the message of a quid pro quo to Ukrainian officials.
2: What were those two times? I think they were probably a little bit more than two times, but uh, there was so. The first quid pro quo we gave was when we met with President Poroshenko. Uh, that was— uh, Former president. For, former President Poroshenko. Ben. So
1: what was your message to Poroshenko?
2: Uh, Poroshenko's that if he would uh, make the announcement that he would, they would he would get— uh, Trump would uh, either invite him to the White House or make a statement for him, but basically would start supporting him for, uh, you know, president.
1: So that was the first quid pro quo. Yeah, Poroshenko can come to the White House or get a meeting with Trump— If he announces an investigation, correct. What was the next one?
2: And you have to understand because this was a transition time. He was uh, Zelensky just won. He was president elect, uh, and he the most the number one thing on their agenda was not even the transition. It was to get the inauguration because it was a big thing. He was a young. To
1: show the American backing of the new of the new administration,
2: because he had no strength with Russia. I mean, Giuliani
1: cancels his visit Uh, because there's a lot of bad publicity about it in the United States. He cancels his visit. You go have the meeting with a high-level official in Zelensky's circle. And
2: what's the message you deliver? I basically told him, very strict and very stern, that uh, several things. A, that uh, he needed to make an announcement. Zelensky needed to immediately make an announcement, literally that night or tomorrow, within the next 24 hours, that they were opening up an investigation on Biden.
1: At that point, was there any mention of withholding of aid?
2: Yeah, it was. Uh, uh, well, if they didn't make the announcement, basically, there would be no relationship, not just it was no specific military. There was no aid that was going to be assisted. There was going to be no inauguration. Pence wouldn't be at the inauguration and there would be no visit to the White House. There would be basically they would have no communication. So
1: how you told the top official in the Zelensky inner circle that if they did not announce an investigation, of the Bidens immediately um, and get rid of some folks around Zelensky who they believed were opposed to President Trump, that there wouldn't be any aid and Vice President Pence would not even come to the inauguration. And what happened? What did they say?
2: I called Rudy, told him that I don't think it's going to there's going to be an announcement. And he said, "Okay, they'll see. They'll see. They'll see.
1: And what happened the next day?
2: I got called and said that they got a call from the embassy. Basically, they found out that Pence is not going to be there. He got canceled. They said that there was a scheduling problem or something. The
1: day after you delivered that message. Correct. On the 13th. Right on the
2: Right. It was a Monday, the 13th. Uh, and then uh, uh, after that, like, I think on the 16th or the 15th, I don't remember the exact dates uh, they had the, because they were flipping out what to do. They didn't want to be embarrassed. They didn't know if anybody at all was going to show up, if, you know, but they knew Pence wasn't coming. Trump wasn't coming.
1: How did you have the authority to say the vice president of the United States will not attend the inauguration if you don't do what I say?
2: I mean, that's what I was told to do
1: who told you to do that?
2: Rudy Giuliani.
1: This letter that, that you gave to the uh, the House, the first line in it, which is a letter from Rudy Giuliani to President Alexis Lansky, says, I am private counsel to President Donald J. Trump. Just to be precise, I represent him as a citizen, not as president of the United States. This is quite common under American law. Uh, duties and privileges of a president and private citizen are not the same. So he he is making a very clear point that... He's not representing the interests of the United States writ large of American national security. He's representing the interests of Donald J. Trump. That was always the point. That was. That was always made. That was
2: always clear. He always made it clear that he doesn't represent wherever we went. He said, I don't represent the government. I represent the president of the United States.
1: So anything Rudy Giuliani wanted the government of Ukraine to do, that wasn't official U.S. policy. That was... A personal benefit to the president of the United States.
2: Well, you know, when I was doing it, I thought it was all in the same. But obviously now, as I could see, the way, with the situation the way it is, I mean, it was strictly for him. But again, I thought he was the it's our leader. He's the chief. He's the president, and it was all about 2020 to make sure he had another four years. And I didn't. And you, but that's
1: the, how you personally viewed it. That this is about 2020 to help him get the next
2: four years. That was the way everybody viewed it. I mean, there was that was the most important thing is for him to stay on for another four years and keep the fight going. I mean, there was no other reason for doing it.
1: Did the president care about corruption in Ukraine? Uh,
2: you'd have to ask him. But as far as I know, our, our, the only thing uh, we cared about uh, and we were part we were the team was to get Zelensky or Poroshenko or somebody to make on the press release an announcement into the Biden investigation. In terms of who knew about what
1: you were doing in in Ukraine. Did Vice President Pence know? Of course. Because, I mean, his office has said he he was unaware of, you know, that he had met with Zelensky after not going to the inauguration, but he wasn't delivering a, a message of a quid pro quo.
2: Look, again, like I said, I'm not here to debate. I'm here to get the truth out. I got my records. But how do you
1: know that the vice president would have known what Giuliani was up to? Because
2: we would speak every day. I knew everything that was going on. I mean, after Rudy would speak with the president or, or come from the White House, I was the first person he briefed. I mean we had a relationship we were that close I mean the I mean we were together from morning to night I mean he took me I mean every so, interview he would do I would be sitting over there while he was doing the interviews I mean so Giuliani
1: knew everything you were doing everything he was You're saying Vice President Pence knew
2: well, I don't know if my Vice President knew everything we were doing I'm sure he was But he I, knew I, but he about was in a the loop. Pro quo of course he knew everybody knew that everybody that was close to trump knew the uh, that this was a thorn in the side and this was a serious situation bolton bolton mulvaney mulvaney uh bolton i don't think agreed with it i think uh, there's certain people that agreed with it and didn't agree with it he he called
1: it a drug deal according to fiona hill
2: i think bolton is a very important witness because i think between me and bolton we could fit in all the dots i think uh, because i was on the ground there and he was over here and you'd be willing to testify I would be very willing to testify.
1: A few moments ago, you heard President Trump say that he didn't know Lev Parnas. Vice President Pence says the same, telling reporters, quote, I don't know the guy. Pence also said it was, quote, completely false that he was aware that dirtying up Joe Biden was the goal of the pressure on Ukraine. We reached out for comment from Rudy Giuliani and got no response. However, he did say this about his former associate Lev Parnas to the Associated Press. I'm quoting now. I feel sorry for him. I thought he was an honorable man. I was wrong. Next, in part two of our conversation, why Lev Parnas believes that senators are afraid to call him as a witness. Also ahead, the legal implications of Parnas' allegations, as well as the GAO's striking conclusion that the White House broke the law. That and more when we continue on this history-making day.
3: Symptoms of overactive bladder, or OAB, may be bothersome. As many as 46 million Americans, 40 years of age or older, have reported symptoms of OAB. I got to the point where I was constantly having to plan my outings around being able to go to the bathroom. felt like my bladder was calling the shots. Many people like her decided enough was enough. It was time to talk to a doctor. We spoke to a few of them to hear their stories in their own words. Listen in at OABmed.com and hear how they discovered Mirbetric Mirabegron.
0: Mirbetric is a prescription medicine for adults used to treat
1: OAB symptoms of urgency, frequency, and leakage. Do not take if you have a known allergic reaction to Mirbetric or its ingredients. Mirbetric may increase blood pressure. Tell your doctor right away if you have trouble emptying your bladder or have a weak urine stream. Mirbetric may cause serious allergic reactions like swelling of the face, lips, throat, or tongue, or trouble breathing. If experienced, stop taking and tell your doctor right away. Mirbetric may interact with other medicines. Tell your doctor if you are taking thioridazine, Melaril, and melaryl S, fleconide, tambacore, propafenone rhythmol, digoxin, linoxin, or solifenicin, succinate, vesicare. Tell your doctor if you have liver or kidney problems. Common side effects include increased blood pressure, common cold or flu symptoms, sinus irritation, dry mouth, urinary tract infection, bladder inflammation back or joint pain, constipation, dizziness, and
0: headache. See our ad in Reader's Digest magazine or call 1-855-697-2387.
3: Hear real stories about how Mirbetric can help OAB symptoms at OABmed.com and ask your doctor if it could help you. That's OABmed.com.
1: Well, before the break, you heard Lev Parnas say he is, quote, very willing to testify at the Senate impeachment trial. Part two of our conversation, he talks about why that might not happen. But we begin with his account of the campaign to get rid of Marie Yovanovitch, the ambassador to Ukraine, and his very, uh, according to him, big role in it. Did you want Yovanovitch removed?
2: Me personally? I mean, I didn't have no personal motives. Did you know her? No, I don't know her. Did you have an
1: opinion? You didn't have an opinion about her at all?
2: I mean, my opinion came from the crowd I was in. And over the time, I grew more and more and more and more and more and more and more. And eventually, I felt like, yeah, like I hated her because, you know, everybody hated her. And she, I mean... You say
1: the crowd, you mean Ukrainians
2: or Giuliani? It's primarily our Trump crowd. Why did they hate her? Uh, because, uh, she was supposed to be a Soros left. She was supposed to be a, a leftover f- from the Obama Soros, uh, uh, Democrat era. And that she was, that's not what a you Trump. were told. That's what I'm saying that she's not a Trumper. And to my knowledge, uh, he, uh, the president fired her at least four times, maybe even five times. I mean, once in my presence. Yeah. yeah
1: explain her. that. You, you said that he fired her in front of you
2: correct what what uh, happened uh that was uh the first interaction about her uh we had uh it was a dinner at the uh, private dinner for a super PAC uh in um uh, uh, Washington, D.C. at the Trump Hotel. And in, in the conversation, the subject of Ukraine was brought up. And I told the president that our opinion, uh, that she is badmouthing him and that uh, she said that he's going to get impeached, something like that. I don't know if that's word for word, but mm-hmm. that she was. Uh, you said
1: that at the table. Correct. Where the president.
2: Correct. Was. Correct. And his reaction was he looked at me like got very angry and basically turned around to John DeStefano and said, fire her. Mm-hmm. Get rid of her.
1: You've been described, the position you ended up with with Giuliani, you've been described as a a fixer for Giuliani on his efforts to dig up dirt on the Bidens. Is that accurate?
2: I don't know what you call a fixer. I mean, I was uh, arrange closer. meetings, yeah. Conduct uh, meetings. That I mean, that's exactly what I did. I mean, I was the middleman between two worlds. Uh, here I was. I had a partner, an Igor Fruman, that uh, grew up in Ukraine, had extensive business there, and uh, because of his businesses, he knew all kinds of people uh, that were, you know, politicians. That, he could get, you know, He
1: could. He had the contacts.
2: It was all his contacts. I didn't have any contacts in Ukraine. I don't have any contacts in Ukraine.
1: For a guy who doesn't have contacts in Ukraine. Ukraine, you were able to get meetings with a lot of very important people in Ukraine. Why was that?
2: Well, I mean, if the president of the United States tells them to meet with you, I think anybody will meet with you.
1: Everybody you met with knew you represented Rudy Giuliani and by association, the president.
2: It was, uh, I mean it was more than that I mean the protocol would be is uh, when I would meet, like I'll give you an example when I uh, first met uh, Ivan Bakanov who was uh, uh, one of the close uh, aides to, to Zelensky and now is the head of the SBU uh, right. Right. Uh, now the head secret, of the intelligence, intelligence. intelligence so when we first met, he was the first person we met in the Zelensky camp and when I met him the first thing I did is I said I represent uh, Rudy Giuliani and he, I'm going to put him on the phone I put him on speakerphone and Rudy at that time, time told him that I represent the president of the United States and that everything I say that to be taken w- with that authority.
1: Rudy Giuliani said on speakerphone to the man who now runs Ukrainian intelligence that you represent Giuliani and the president.
2: Absolutely. No, the president directly. He you I'm represent really, the president. Correct. And that's why they spoke to me. And that's why they that's why I got out of there alive. You can
1: say with 100 percent certainty that everything Rudy Giuliani did in Ukraine was done with the president's blessing, whether or not he had foreknowledge or was told about it afterward. But Giuliani and the president were in frequent communication.
2: Beyond frequent, several times a day. And um, uh, Rudy wouldn't do anything without the president. So just like I wouldn't do anything without Rudy's. The
1: argument made by a lot of Republicans uh, during uh, the congressional hearings was not only that president cares deeply about corruption in Ukraine, so this wasn't just about uh, you know, a personal benefit for the president, but that Zelensky himself has come forward and said, I didn't feel any pressure. There was no quid pro quo. You've met with a whole host of people in his inner circle uh, throughout the lie. government.
2: That's a total lie. Uh, they, they're, they're, they're still, I mean, they're still rocked to this day. They're still re- not recovered, and I don't know if, when they will. Uh,
1: you have no doubt they they felt this pressure... This was, was this was a. Oh, my God. Of course. Absolutely. Existential threat absolutely. to the survival.
2: Well, the main reason my life was threatened because of that. <laughs> I mean, is, 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 is so
1: why do you think Zelensky says, oh, no, there was no pressure?
2: I didn't feel any pressure. They're in an awkward position. I understand them. And I'm not here to try to call them out and put them even in the worst. Position.
1: The awkward position is if if Zelensky says whatever he actually feels, he's still got out he still needs aid from the trump administration
2: obviously and uh, he listen uh my opinion is is this you know uh, loyalty goes so far but i think uh, there's a lot of people in the republican party that don't agree uh, they're 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 good people that don't agree with what he's doing but they're scared he gets away with everything and i would You know, especially with Attorney Bill Barr on the side and the Justice Department. I mean, a lot of people are scared. They want to get investigated.
1: People are scared of being investigated by the Justice Department on behalf of President Trump, you're saying? I think so. Does that scare you?
2: (laughs) Scares me a lot. And I pray every day that, you know, that's not the case or, you know, God has a way. That's why I was hopeful to get this information out. And now, you know, I'm ready to deal with whatever it is, because if I did something wrong, I'll... I'll take my responsibility, but like I said, uh, what I was charged with has nothing to do with uh, what we're discussing right now. I think this is important for national security, and I think it's important for the country to find out the truth exactly what happened. And one of the things you say on this, and you have to understand, when these congressional, uh, you said during the congressional hearings, I watched them very well, and they made all kinds of arguments, but there was no proof to back it up. I mean, they sit there and they talk all this stuff, oh, this and that, but they didn't bring one evidence. The Democrats uh, uh, brought all this proof, all this evidence, all this testimony. Show me one witness that came out. If, if you really look at it, I should be their best witness. I should be their number one witness because I'm the one that got all the dirt, supposedly. Why aren't they calling me to the testify? If, why do they need Biden? Call me. Ask me what Biden did wrong.
1: Do you think they're afraid of calling you?
2: I think they're very afraid of me. I think they're afraid of me because I think they made a mistake by, you know, trying to uh, do what they did to me. If you
1: could say anything to the president, what would he say?
2: He needs to understand he's not a king. He needs to understand that there's a democracy. There's rules, you know, even if you don't like him, you know, even if you don't agree with them. You know, it's all fun and dandy going to these rallies and standing up and rally. I was there. I was front stage. I was the first one at the Trump straws and blah, blah, blah. but it's scary if he wins another four years. I think uh, I don't know what will happen. I don't know what will happen to me <laughs> because I guess I'm enemy number one right now. So, you know, I pray that I have good counsel and that I'll be protected and that we'll, we'll fight this. But I'm glad the truth is out. I feel good. Uh, I feel good that I was able to do my civil duty to, uh, in front of Congress. And I'm here to help uh, the Senate, Congress, and hopefully I want to look at the GOP senators and to let them know that I'm here. I'm, you know, not just the Republicans, the Democrats. You should know the truth. You could validate it. You have all my information. Call me. We could sit down, and I'll tell you everything.
1: Lev Parnas. Just ahead, as the Senate impeachment trial gets underway, a top Democrat on the Foreign Relations Committee, Ed Markey, joins me to talk about the allegations that you heard tonight from Lev Parnas. Senate Democratic Leader Chuck Schumer was asked today about the allegations and evidence given by Lev Parnas and whether Democrats should call Mr. Parnas as a witness and given the opportunity Senator Schumer said that Parnas' allegations have helped strengthen the push for witnesses and that if allowed to call him as a witness, quote, it's something we wouldn't rule out, unquote. As you heard a few moments ago, Parnas says he's hoping to get that call.
2: If you really look at it, I should be their best witness. I should be their number one witness because I'm the one that got all the dirt, supposedly. Why aren't they calling me to testify? If Why do they need Biden? Call me. Ask me what Biden did wrong.
1: Do you think they're afraid of calling him?
2: I think they're very friendly.
1: Just talking about Republicans there, joining me now is Democratic Senator Ed Markey, who's one of the jurors in the impeachment trial. He also sits on the Foreign Relations Committee. Uh, I'm wondering what you make of, of Parnas saying uh, President Trump knew exactly what was going on. He's also, though he has no direct evidence about the uh, vice president, he believes Pence would have known as well, as well as uh, Mulvaney and Bolton and others. I'm wondering what you make of, of what his alle- of his allegations.
0: Well, he's only saying what Ambassador Sondland said, that everyone was in the loop. Everyone knew everyone was completely and totally aware of the fact that the president uh, was withholding three hundred and ninety one million dollars worth of American taxpayer money in order to extort an investigation of the Biden family. So it's very consistent with everything we've heard up until now. But we're very close now to the source because of the relationship which uh, Mr. Parnas has with uh, Giuliani. And, uh, and so we know that he was integral to pulling off this caper. And, uh, and if he's willing to testify, then that's a powerful corroboration of the central charges against the president of the United States.
1: It's important to point out Ukraine's foreign minister says he doesn't trust any word, that's quote, that Parnas is saying. Parnas is facing, obviously, multiple federal uh, criminal charges. So there's obviously questions about his credibility, uh, which I asked him about al- also. But to me, one of the remarkable things about Essentially, what his position was. There's no doubt he was very close to Giuliani. There's no doubt he was in Ukraine doing this stuff. The fact that he would hold up a phone and Giuliani would speak and say, according to Parnas, say to whoever, whatever Ukrainian official he was meeting with, this guy represents me and represents the president.
0: Right. There's no question that Giuliani hired Parnas to be a representative in the Ukraine in order to talk to the Ukraine government about an investigation of the Bidens in return for this money. I don't think there's any question about that. Now, Parnas is someone whose evidence, whose testimony should be questioned, challenged like any other witness. But he should be a witness. He should have his documents presented to the Senate. This is ultimately a trial is a search for the truth. Uh, And this evidence that is being presented is directly relevant to the question of what the president knew and uh, when he knew it, what he told Giuliani or his other officials to try to execute as part of this attempt to extort an investigation of the Bidens out of that government. So from my perspective, uh, Parnas should have all of that information uh, provided to the Senate He himself should be made available so that he can be questioned as well. It is also remarkable when you hear from Parnas,
1: every time he talks about what the quid pro quo was, what his message to the Ukrainians was, it's always the same, an announcement of an investigation against the Bidens, not an investigation itself. Like, that didn't matter whether there was, in fact, Parnas said to me, you know, you wouldn't want the Ukrainians doing an investigation. It's the last place you would trust to have an, a, an actually fair and thorough investigation, given corruption issues in
0: Ukraine. They just wanted the announcement. It's clear that at that time that President Trump was paranoid about Joe Biden, uh, that he wanted to discredit, undermine that candidacy. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, the only issue now is whether or not the Senate is going to hear yeah. from Mick Mulvaney who was firsthand uh, uh, in access to the president, whether or not we're going to hear from John Bolton, who called it a drug deal, whether or not the other witnesses at OMB or in the White House who had firsthand information are going to be allowed to give that information to the United States Senate and to ultimately the most important audience, the American people. And Parnas in his information uh, only reinforces uh, the testimony that the House of Representatives heard. This would be on top of all of that testimony. That's what a trial is. It's not a grand jury proceeding. That's essentially what happened in the House. This is a real trial. And you cannot, as those who are conducting a trial, blind yourself willingly to the information which is now available, an avalanche of information which has now become available since The House voted their impeachment articles so that the American people and the Senate, which is, by the way, also on trial, along with President Trump, to conduct a trial full and fair so that the American people can understand what was being done in their name. Senator Markey, I
1: appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. I want to bring you. in our chief, uh, CNN's chief legal analyst and former federal prosecutor Jeffrey Tubin, also CNN's senior political analyst and USA Today columnist Kirsten Powers. Uh, Jeff, uh, what do you think of Parnas as a witness?
3: Well, you know, he has this distinctive style. He's very deadpan. He's very low-key. And it, you somehow don't realize how extraordinary a story he's telling. I mean, here's this guy, the proprietor of a company called Fraud Guarantee, and he is going to the uh, leadership of the government of Ukraine and saying, unless you announce an investigation of the Biden family, you are not getting the money that Congress has authorized. You're not getting the uh, visit for, you know, from, from the president and you're not getting an Oval Office visit. And it's true. It, none of it happened. <laughs> Uh, and, and,
1: the fact and, also, he's just some guy who shows up in their offices and holds up a phone, and according to him, Rudy Giuliani's voice emerges from the phone saying, "You got to listen to this
3: guy." And and he is, and you yes. know, the the story checks out to the extent we can. Obviously, I think Senator Markey said it right. You should test his right, his sure. credibility like anyone else. But does he have a story to tell? He sure as hell does. Kirsten,
1: I'm wondering what you make of Love Horners.
4: Well, yeah, I mean, I think that it's. If you take a step back from everything that he's saying, he like, he has this very calm demeanor. I agree with, with Jeffrey. I mean, it's a really crazy story, but it is a familiar story. It is something that if you watch the hearings, you know, in the House Judiciary Committee and Intel Committee, that, that's a familiar story. There are other people that were saying a lot of the same kinds of things. So I think the fact that he's saying, you know, this was absolutely a, the president, you know, was leading this whole effort, knew about it, the fact that, that uh, it it was always about 2020," he said to you. That this everybody knew that everybody knew that this was about 2020. Again, I think is pretty consistent with a lot of things that we've we've already heard. And then you add in this letter that's been released of Giuliani representing to you know the president of the Ukraine. You know, I'm here in my personal capacity, which also undermines this idea that a lot of Republicans were saying it was just foreign policy. Right. But the letter shows otherwise.
1: Yeah. Uh, stay with us. Uh, still a lot to discuss, including whether Democrats should call Lev Parnas as a witness. Or even if they were able to do that, ahead. During my interview with Lev Harness, we discussed the Senate impeachment trial and who should testify. One name he mentioned for the president's former national security uh, advisor, John
2: Bolton. Take a look. I think Bolton is a very important witness because I think between me and Bolton, we could fit in all the dots. I think uh, because I was on the ground there and he was over here. I and mean. you'd be
1: willing to testify?
2: I would be very willing to
1: testify. And back with us, Jeffrey Tubin and Kirsten Powers. How? I
3: mean, there's no sign that any testimony is going to take place. Well, McConnell is dead set against it. And the question is, are there four Republicans who will vote with the Democrats? Um, I think it's unlikely. John Dean said he thought it would only need to be three because then a deciding vote would be uh, the chief justice. Well, you know, this is one of the many uncertainties. Um, in the 1868 trial of Andrew Johnson, the chief justice did break a couple of ties mm. um, on procedural issues. But since then, the the received wisdom has been that, that a tie is a failure. It mm. means no. Again, nobody knows for sure because, you know, so many of these issues have not been sorted out because they've never happened before. Yeah. Kirsten,
1: Parnas is is saying Bolton can fill in the dots. Certainly, we know Bolton, well, Bolton, we know Bolton claims to be willing to testify if subpoenaed, though he wasn't willing to testify uh, uh, to the House. Do you think that this do you think Parnas and, and Bolton saying he's willing to puts any more pressure on senators to call a witness or they don't really care? I, yeah.
4: I, I don't think that they really care. And I'm not even sure they would care if they testified, because I think what Republicans will keep falling back on is that you're just taking their word, right? So you're taking Lev Parnas's word that this happened, but the president said that it didn't happen. And they're always going to fall back on that. It doesn't matter how many different people tell the same story. So Ambassador Sondland has said the same thing that Lev Parnas said in terms of the president only wanted an announcement, right, of, of a an investigation, an actual investigation, which undermines the whole story. Which was, I, I, you know, he cares about. He cares about corruption. Sorry, Jeffrey.
3: No, no, I'm sorry. I, I just not. Sure. I'm not sure that's true, that, that it that, that the, the, these senators will feel no pressure at all. I mean, the idea that there should be a fair trial is is a very simple one to understand, and if you just railroad this thing with no witnesses, I mean, how does Susan Collins explain that to the voters? How does Cory Gardner explain that to the voters of Colorado that you know there was just no reason to call any witnesses this case yeah, was but so I'm not, clear
4: I'm not saying that I mean they may end up calling witnesses. My point is that even if they call the witnesses that I think most of the Republicans will just say. Well, unless basically unless you have like a picture of or a video <laughs> of, of Donald Trump doing this, we don't believe you.
3: Oh, I, I, I agree with you on the ultimate vote. Yeah. But, I, you know, I, I think the issue of of witnesses is is really a big deal. And, le- and you know, and the public is going to see the testimony and, and will make up its mind. I mean, look, all of us who have covered Trump have you know, been wrong about like, oh, the public's going to change its sentiment about anything and the public never changes. The polls haven't moved since he became president. But, you know, I I do think the idea of a fair trial is a powerful one.
1: Uh, We got to leave there. Kirsten Paris. Thank you. Jeff Tubin as well. Coming up next, uh, CNN correspondent asks Arizona Senator, Senator Martha McSally, a pretty routine question today. What happened next? Was anything but routine? That's coming up on The Ridiculous. Checking with Chris, see what he's working on for Cuomo primetime. Chris? It's very interesting uh, that we saw the oath taken today by McConnell and I think 99 of the senators, right, uh, Inhofe, is, is still uh, to be done next week. But it's already off to a shaky start. You can't really trust the oath. Uh, this guy Parnas that you interviewed, we've seen out there with Maddow's interview. He's got credibility issues. There's no question about that. But you can't ignore what he says. There are documents that back it up. He should be tested at trial. And I don't see how the Senate gets around all the information that they must ignore if they don't have witnesses. Yeah, we'll see what they're going to do. Chris, uh, we'll do that about uh, eight minutes from now. We'll see Mm -hmm. you in a couple of minutes. One senator's response to a simple question from Armando Raju finds our spot on The Ridiculous tonight. Time now for The Ridiculous, and tonight, Senator Martha McSally sadly sallies onto the list. She's a Republican from Arizona who, on the day that President Trump went on trial for, among other things, his contempt for the Constitution and the rule of law, revealed her contempt for professionalism and one of democracy's core tenets, a free and professional press just doing its job in the halls of Congress. This is what happened when our CNN colleague Manoj Raju dared to ask the senator a very straightforward and very simple question.
3: Senator McSally, you consider new evidence as part of the impeachment trial? You're not going to comment
1: Senator, about this? A liberal hack. That's what Senator McSally called Manu. Now, for the record, Manu Raju is not just an incredibly fair and responsible journalist. He also happens to be a really good human being and a very nice person. He's incredibly polite, asking public officials questions that they often do not want to be asked. But you know what? They're public officials. That's part of their job. And by the way, the question that he asked, it wasn't exactly what Sarah Palin used to like to call a gotcha question, which weren't actually gotcha questions at all. Should the Senate consider new evidence as part of the impeachment trial? (gasps) Wow. If you can't answer that question, maybe you shouldn't have been elected to the Senate. What? Oh. Sorry. Martha McSally actually wasn't elected to the Senate. She actually tried to get elected, but she lost. I forgot that. She lost, actually, to a Democrat. She only has the privilege of walking the halls of the Senate and calling others a hack because she was appointed to the job by the governor of Arizona to fill the seat, left vacant, uh, when John Kyle, who had been temporarily, temporarily filling the seat of the late Senator John McCain, retired. Now, I didn't know much about McSally because her record in the Senate is pretty thin. It turns out McSally is a veteran of the Air Force and has a really honorable and impressive record of service. And she was a trailblazer in the military. She actually sued the Defense Department while serving so that female service members didn't have to wear headscarves when off base, when off base in Saudi Arabia. She may be, you know, pretending to be tough on the media now or hate the media now, but when she wanted attention for her lawsuit, she seemed to have no problem popping up on CBS's 60 Minutes. But look, that was 18 years ago. For, you know, a person who's become a desperate politician, that's a lifetime. She also didn't seem to dislike the media when L magazine, which is not exactly the Daily Caller, profiled her back in 2016. That was when she was portraying herself as a political moderate and, according to Wikipedia, a pragmatic conservative. L magazine says she, quote, seeks to engage in rational discussion based on mutually agreed facts. Well, based on the mutually agreed fact of her slur against Manu Raju today, I think it's fair to say that McSally's Day's of engaging in rational discussion are over. See, because what her calling Manu a liberal hack is really about is her running scared and attempting to reinvent herself as a Trump foot soldier. That's what this is about. She's up for re-election. She now actually has to earn her Senate seat, the one she was appointed to, and she's running against former astronaut Mark Kelly. It's going to be a tough election. She's desperate to say or do anything to stay in power. That's what this is about. Back in 2016, She was running for Congress. She didn't endorse Trump. She probably doesn't want to talk about that now, but she didn't endorse Trump. In fact, she actually spoke out against Trump when the Access Hollywood tape came out. McSally has been public about sexual abuse that she says she suffered from a coach when she was in high school. She's been incredibly brave about that. Back then, she said Trump's comments are disgusting. Joking about sexual assault is unacceptable. I'm appalled. Sure, she was running for re-election as a congresswoman then in a swing district, so maybe it was political calculation, but it was, at least politically, a tough call. But once Trump won and she ran for Senate in 2018 for Jeff Flake's seat, she knew which way the wind was blowing. She started embracing Trump. Politico wrote, Martha McSally wants to make one thing clear before she launches an Arizona Senate campaign. She's a big fan of President Donald Trump. Big fan. McSally is brave. She's been in combat. She was a trailblazer in the military. But now she wants to stay in power. So she picks on a good and decent reporter just asking a fair and simple question. And you know how you know that this is all just a political act? Because she herself tweeted out a video of the exchange, and she herself is now fundraising on that exchange. She's trying to make money off the fact that she called Manu a liberal hack. And you know what? The president is now asking people to donate to her because she was rude and unprofessional to a reporter. So big, long, slow clap for you. A reporter was just doing his constitutionally backed job. And so, congratulations, appointed Senator McSally. I'm sure the money's going to flow in, and he may get a bump in the polls, and he may win. But look at the company you are now in, and look how far you have come. You were once a profile in courage, you're now a profile in politics. The news continues. I want to hand over to Chris for Cuomo Prime Time. Chris.